Help me, Albus Dumbledore. You're my only hope. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for rebels. How is it that you, a skinny boy with no extraordinary magical talent, managed to defeat the greatest wizard of all time? How did you escape with nothing but a scar while Lord Voldemort's powers were destroyed? Why do you care how I escaped, said Harry slowly. Voldemort was after your time. Voldemort is my past, present, and future, Harry Potter. I'm Heather Price Wright. And I'm Alex Dallenberg. Rest in peace, Carrie Fisher. A great actress, writer, and human. Not strictly part of the Harry Potter canon, but well-beloved in the Quibbler family. And I'm sure there's a lot of overlap for many listeners. So, yeah, a I sad mean, day. Before there was Hermione, there was Leia. Here's to ladies who save the day and don't get as much credit as the dudes. Yeah, word. Cheers to you, Ms. Fisher. I can't hold off forever. Now what? This is some rescue. You came in here, did you have a plan for getting out? He's the brains. We are Uh, we're back after a little Christmas hiatus. You can probably tell we're a little bit rusty, but this is episode <laughs> 14. We are reading the last little bit of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Our chapters this week are the Chamber of Secrets. The Heir of Slytherin, and Dobby's Reward. In this podcast, you will hear spoilers. Obviously, especially you will hear spoilers now because it's the end of the book. So, spoiler alert, it's Voldemort. You will also hear cursing and some adult themes. This week, our adult themes are fun. They are early onset dementia, oversharing, dirty laundry, being told your kid is dead and then they show up, the male gaze, and... Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat! <laughs> the literal kind, not the sick video game. There is a snake on the cover, though, of the original. or some kind. No, it's not a snake. It's a dragon. But, you know, they're related. I guess. Technically. That's a thin. Dra- yes. Dragons aren't related to anything because uh, they're not real. But They're related to dinosaurs. That's true. Oh, my God. I think. We can't talk about dinosaurs. Wow, this went off the rails immediately. Uh, uh, what the happened? basilisk is actually a dinosaur, so... Uh, is it? Th- no. <laughs> the basilisk no, is not. not a dinosaur. It's its, own, it's its own thing. Yeah. What happened this week? Uh, everything happened this week because it's the end of the book, and this is probably going to become a jumbo episode because climaxing. Yeah, we have a fuck ton to talk about. <laughs> In this week's chapters... The students at Hogwarts learn that exams are not canceled despite the fact that a monster is running amok. Harry and Ron are debating when they're going to sneak off and ask Moaning Myrtle about how she died and whether or not she knows anything about uh, the heir of Slytherin or the beast in the chamber. They're treating themselves to a typically overindulgent Hogwarts breakfast when Ginny sidles up and says... She's looking kind of nervous, says she has something to tell them. Then Percy butts in 
and Ginny shuts down and takes off, and they're like, Percy, what's up? Seemed like Ginny was about to tell us something, and Percy says, oh, uh, Ginny walked in on me, uh, doing something that, uh, I'm a little embarrassed about, so, uh, who knows what that could be. I Winking yeah. it! <laughs> so, uh, that happened. Maybe Ginny knows something. Maybe it's about the chamber. Maybe it's about Percy's penis. We don't know. Harry and Ron sneak off to consult with Moaning Myrtle about this whole fucking mystery. But first they have to go by way of the hospital wing to visit Hermione so that they have a cover story. Hermione, of course, has been petrified. Harry notices that she's clutching a ripped out piece of paper from a very old library book in her hand and boom Hermione has basically solved the mystery turns out the monster is a basilisk which can kill with its stare and it's born from an egg hatched under a chicken egg hatched underneath a toad so um if you have pet chickens and toads don't like mix those two together or you'll get like a basilisk that's bad and she's written pipes on the piece of paper. So Harry and Ron put two and two together and they real well, not Ron, Ron's like, mm, what does pipes mean? Did Harry, did she just write that down? So Harry realizes that the basilisk has been using the plumbing of the school to sneak around, petrifying people. Uh, fast forward a bit, the school is thrown into panic because Ginny Weasley has been taken into the Chamber of Secrets by the basilisk and written on the wall underneath the the heir of Slytherin's previous message is uh, another message in red paint that says her skeleton will lie in the chamber forever. So that's going to come out in years of therapy for uh, everyone at uh, Hogwarts. This means, of course, that the school will have to shut down and everyone's going to be sent home on the Hogwarts Express the next day. In the meantime, Snape and the rest of the teachers dispatch Gilderoy Lockhart to take down the monster. They say, your time has come, Gilderoy. Chop, chop, into action. Harry and Ron go to Professor Lockhart's office to let him know that they have some crucial intel about finding the Chamber of Secrets. They find that Gilderoy is packing hurriedly to leave. It's revealed that Gilderoy has been making up all his crazy adventures for his best-selling books. Well, not making them up, stealing oh, them yeah, from stealing other people. Them, stealing them, okay, not making them up, stealing them from other people erasing their memories, and then writing them as his own memoirs. So... It's actually way more fucked up than just plain old falsifying yeah, stuff. Yeah, it <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's worse than just fabulism. So, anyway, Gilderoy's busted. He prepares to erase his student's memory. Harry uses the Expelliarmus charm, and disarms Lockhart, and they frog-march him to Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. They ask Moaning Myrtle how she died. She is fucking psyched, because I guess no one's ever asked her this, uh, despite haunting a toilet for 50 years. She says that she was in the bathroom crying because she'd been uh, bullied by Olive Hornby, and then she heard somebody talking in a funny voice, parcel tongue, and she saw some gleaming yellow eyes, and then she died. So, Basilisk stare. Death. Right there. Harry then checks out the rest of the bathroom, finds a snake engraved on one of the taps, which has never worked. He says, open, in parcel tongue to it. It opens. They enter the Chamber of Secrets. Down in the chamber, they come across a massive snakeskin that's from the Basilisk. Gilderoy manages to get a hold of Ron's wand and attempts to obliviate 
Harry and Ron, but because Ron's wand has been, like, all fucked up all semester, it explodes, caving in part of the cavern and completely obliterating Gilderoy's mind. Harry has to go on on his own. He eventually finds the Chamber of Secrets, and there he discovers that Ginny is A, alive, but barely, and boom, motherfucking Tom Riddle is there with her. So Tom Riddle's kind of like shimmery looking and weird. He does the super villain thing where he reveals that he's actually Lord Voldemort. From the past. From the past. Like a memory of Tom Riddle who becomes Lord Voldemort. And he turns out that Tom Marbolo Riddle is an anagram for Lord Voldemort. Who knows how long that took grade school Tom to come up with, but uh, he did, or high school Tom, I guess, who's 16. Tom Riddle summons the Basilisk to battle Harry. Harry says, you're not the greatest sorcerer ever Albus Dumbledore was, and then DSX, Bird, and Hat show up. Fox the Phoenix swoops out of nowhere, sings some crazy music, drops the sorting hat in front of Harry. Tom Riddle's like, LOL, all Dumbledore sent you is a bird in a hat, and Harry's like, nope, there's motherfucking Sword of Gryffindor inside this hat. Tom Riddle's like, okay, well, kill him now, Basilisk. Basilisk shows up, Harry's like, that's it, enough is enough, I've had it with these motherfucking snakes in this motherfucking chamber. Fox pecks out the Basilisk's eyes, there's some action and adventure. Harry stabs the basilisk in the back of the throat, but not before being pierced by one of its fangs. Harry crumples to the ground, resigns himself to his own death. Falk shows up, cries on his wound. Phoenix tears heal anything, basically. Harry springs back to life, grabs the basilisk thing, punches it into the diary. Pre-Voldemort, Tom Riddle is uh, erased vanishes into nothing and the diary spurts all kinds of crazy blood and then Fox lifts Harry, Ginny, Ron, and Gilderoy out of the Chamber of Secrets. They head to McGonagall's office where Dumbledore has returned because the school governors were all realized that firing him was a horrible mistake. Um, you know... The Dum fucking Weasleys are there yeah, and the they're Yeah, the Weasleys like, are there thinking the child dead. has been killed. Dumbledore's eyes are twinkling all over the place. He is like just so fucking excited. 200 points to Ron and Harry. Exams get canceled. Dumbledore dispenses some wisdom, which is that Harry belonged in Gryffindor the entire time, no matter what the Sorting Hat said, because it's the choices we make, not our abilities that determine who we actually are. Hermione is revived. Hagrid comes back from his torture chamber, and, you know, it's a happy ending. And that's where we are. That is week. big time where we are. That was that, Oh, Dobby! Oh crap! That's not where we are. Lucius Malfoy returns to I just like throw shade at Dumbledore, basically. There's some tense words. Lucius storms out in a huff. Oh, and Dobby is uh with him, because Lucius had left his house in such a hurry that Dobby was like still polishing his shoes. Dobby is revealed as the Malfoy's house elf. He knew about this whole time that it was Lucius who slipped the diary into Ginny's school thing during the kerfuffle at Flourish and Blotts, and that's how the diary got into Hogwarts. Lucius storms off. Harry's like, Dumbledore, can I please go give this back, the diary, back to Lucius Malfoy? He goes back. He hands it to him with the dirty sock 
one of his own dirty socks on it. Lucius Malfoy looks at this and he's like, The fuck? What is this? Throws it away. Dobby catches the sock, which means that Malfoy's presented Dobby with clothes, which means that Dobby is a free elf. Malfoy is enraged. He's about to attack Harry. Then Dobby's like, GTFO, nobody harms Harry Potter. And anyway, it's a happy ending. And that's where we actually are. True. This book. Um, we gotta talk about right. fucking Lockhart. Right. Who gets so much more sinister at the end of this book. It turns out he's not just a fame whore. He is a super duper horrifying criminal. Yeah, he's like a serial plagiarist of people's lives. My dear boy, said Lockhart, straightening up and frowning at Harry, do use your common sense. My books wouldn't have sold half as well if people didn't think I'd done all those things. No one wants to read about some ugly old Armenian warlock, even if he did save a village from werewolves. He'd look dreadful on the front cover. No dress sense at all. And the witch who banished the abandoned banshee had a hair lip. I mean, come on. So you've just been taking credit for what a load of other people have done? Said Harry incredulously. Harry, Harry, said Lockhart, shaking his head impatiently. It's not nearly as simple as that. There was work involved. I had to track these people down, ask them exactly how they managed to do what they did. Then I had to put a memory charm on them so they wouldn't remember doing it. If there's one thing I pride myself on, it's my memory charms. No, it's been a lot of work, Harry. It's not all book signings and publicity photos, you know. You want fame, you have to be prepared for a long, hard slog. He banged the lids of his trunks shut and locked them. Let's see, he said. I think that's everything. Yes, only one thing left. He pulled out his wand and turned to them. Awfully sorry, boys, but I'll have to put a memory charm on you now. Can't have you blabbing my secrets all over the place. I'd never sell another book. I mean... It's as good as killing people. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, I think you could... Stealing people's memories is a horrifying crime. Not stealing them as in putting them in a book, but stealing them as in claiming them for your own and then obliterating them from that person's right, mind. Right, right. He's worse than... He's not just much, making much shit worse, up. He's much worse than a serial plagiarist. No, he's stealing people's experiences out of their heads. It's awful. It's. It turns out that his actual game, you think he's just made this shit up. Like, the whole time you kind of have a sense that he's lying, but, like, the thing that he actually does is so much worse than you can, like, really fathom. At- it, it is kind of the very literal... It's, it is taking plagiarism to its most extreme extent, though, in a way. Oh, yeah. Because it is, he's literally wiping people's experiences away and claiming them. As his for, own. For his own. It's horrible. Which, in the minds of all readers, do belong to, uh, to him. And then he's going to do that to Harry Potter? Yeah, this, uh, the scene, actually, not only once, but twice, he attempts this. I mean, this is one of the most supremely fucked up acts in the entire, I think, series. 
I mean, it's so it's like completely selfish. It serves no purpose. He has it's completely self-serving. It's exclusively it's self-serving. One of the yeah, it's one of the most evil things in the entire series. Well, I think, especially like Lockhart is about to do that as he's seeing that Harry and Ron are like potentially the only people that can save the school from that. It's not even just that he is there and that he's going to do this to children. That he is very self-serving. He knows that Harry and Ron are the only ones that can get into the chamber or that figure out how to get into the Chamber of Secrets. So he's willing to sacrifice not just them, but he's willing to sacrifice the very existence of Hogwarts so that they can get off scot-free. He says, I'm going to take a piece of this skin to prove that I was really in the chamber. I'm going to say we saw the girl. I'm going to erase your memories and say that you went mad when you saw her corpse. What the fuck, Lockhart? That is so dark. To return to the plagiarism theme a bit, I mean, even though like we've established it's way worse than plagiarism, he has the classic excuse that a lot of famous busted plagiarists have used, like Jason Blair or Stephen Glass, that it's actually really hard to be a fabulist and a serial liar and awful person. He's like, this is hard work, Harry. I've got to, like... Find the story. I gotta erase their minds. I gotta like trick everyone, and I don't know. Like the, the simultaneously admitting that it's all fake, but still like wanting the credit is. Uh... Or like making a claim that he somehow has like earned these stories by working for them. Yeah. Like I mind these people's experiences, and he has this like classic narcissist's take of like. Nobody would give a shit if ugly people did these things. Like, (laughs) I am important because I am beautiful. I am worthwhile because I look the way I look. And the people that actually have skills are worthless. It's the tragedy of the fabulist. You know, I guess it's not a tragedy. He deserves, like, he clearly deserves whatever's coming to him. But he clearly is. It's tragedy in a more classical sense. He's clearly extremely talented. Would he be talented enough to do all those things? Maybe. Maybe not. But he can't, he can't like stand being like average at whatever he chooses to do. Even though it clearly, it takes an equal amount of effort to, like it does, it is hard. He's right about that, but it's not like laudably difficult. There's nothing laudable about it, even though it's like, it's like technically challenging. I don't know. That's what lying does to you. It warps, I don't, it warps everything when you're that kind of. Yeah, uh, the extent to which he has no qualms with just like fucking Ron and Harry's shit up. You get this sense that this lie has... And actually, this is something that you see in a lot of the kind of more villainy, villainous characters in Harry Potter, that their their big lie or their sort of series of big lies has warped them beyond human recognition. So it's like you can kind of trace the choices that make Gilderoy Lockhart, that take him from sort of like narcissistic and pompous to like straight up evil and it is continuing to inure yourself to evil acts for the sake of the end that you think is worthwhile. So like every time, actually a study about lying like this just came out. It was Mm. really interesting. The study was basically like small lies lead to bigger lies. Like as you basically numb yourself to the experiences of lying that are negative like you know when you first especially like as a kid when you first tell a lie 
you go kind of like numb with dread. Like there's a lot of really negative physiological consequences of lying. But as you get away with lies, you become basically immune to those physiological responses. And those are the only things standing between us and lying like most of the time. We like to think it's morals, but it's mostly like our body's activation when we are afraid of being found out. And the less you experience that, the more likely you are to tell bigger and bigger lies. And they just, they did this study like, I don't know, a couple of months ago it came out. Well, we do see Gilderoy go fly into utter panic. Right. he's about to be exposed. Right, no, 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 but he doesn't panic about lying. That's mm-hmm. the thing. No, he he's totally okay with doing these horrible things because he's gotten immune to the negative physiological reactions that normal people have to making those kinds of decisions. This is just... Gilderoy's character arc is one of the most perfectly constructed in the entire series, I think. Oh my god, it's I exquisite. Think. When you hit this... This particular, it's not really a twist because you know something's going on with the. But it's so much worse. With Gilderoy, yeah. But this turn the character takes is masterful. It is. It's exquisite. Just hat tip J.K. Rowling. Let's also talk about the fact briefly that fucking Dumbledore knows. I know. He clearly knows because when they drag Gilderoy back out of the chamber into Dumbledore's office and tell him what happened with the memory charm. They don't tell him anything else, just that he was about to obliviate their memories. Dumbledore says, oh, impaled on your own sword, Gilderoy. Tut, tut. Which, what? That implies to me that he knew all along that That this was Gilderoy's bit. Yeah. What the hell? Like, don't hire that guy. (laughs) Oh, my God. uh, Another classic Dumbledore human resources decision. Just... Uh, maybe there was some higher order thing, uh, reason for Dumbledore doing this uh, in this case. Not so sure. No, I think he was just like desperate and like kind of thought probably it couldn't go that wrong. <laughs> and then Dumbledore says, is like, LOL, I guess we better put an ad in the Daily Prophet for a new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. We do seem to go through a lot of those. <laughs> chuckle, chuckle. Uh, all right, get this guy that tried to erase your minds out of here. You know? Well, but the other thing is, Harry has, or I guess at this point, in this particular instance, it's Ron, but like, they've effectively killed two Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers now. <laughs> we actually re-meet Gilderoy in like, book what, five. book five? Yeah. And he's... Uh, like a blithering idiot. Like, like he never best, gets yeah. he never gets his memory back. He never again knows who he is. And it's like kind of a deserved fate, but it's still like Harry and Ron have like a kind of a defense against the dark arts teacher body count to like contend with. <laughs> that's some like that's some trauma that lives in you. Oh my god. Uh, well, they're about they're about to get a much better one. Um anyway, uh what's next? The chamber. Oh, yes, the chamber of secrets itself i really do love the idea that hogwarts is so ancient and magical and mysterious that there is this hidden place this you know that salazar slytherin had this hidden evil dungeon but also i mean architecturally i'm not sure it makes much sense because the entrance is a pipe it's like a bathroom tap that doesn't work like, presumably, what was it, a thousand years ago, something when they created uh, Hogwarts? It's like it's like 900 AD. This will be, we'll correct this in the show notes. Uh, <laughs> if somebody corrects it, yeah. I'm not looking it uh, up. But I mean, it's it's been a long time, right? Presumably when Hogwarts was founded, there was no indoor plumbing. 
So, you know, whatever contractor they brought in would have had to install these bathroom taps and uh, noticed uh, that there was a there was a big ass pipe leading to uh, a deep dark chamber. I don't know. Use some sonar on the not sonar. What would uh, do some like? Uh, they don't have any technology except apparently they do have modern plumbing. <laughs> sort of. It wouldn't be sonar. What, what would they? What would they use? What do they use when they uh, like? detect objects that are underground like archaeologists i don't know the name for it oh like you do like imaging yeah um where they can like tell the can shape they do, like ultrasound basically yeah maybe that's it they can like detect the shape of like tombs and things that haven't been like unearthed okay i don't know clearly wizards can't do that wouldn't ma- it they wouldn't, don't even have lights wouldn't matter anyway because hogwarts is bewitched so that electronic devices you don't go think crazy. like ct scans work in there <laughs> no it says it says uh we learned that uh muggles can't find hogwarts because electronic devices don't uh, work around it they go like haywire like gps and stuff mm. it's all fucked up around hogwarts but anyway they've searched the castle they couldn't find it presumably there's some other magic but i don't know it's just funny the idea that the <laughs> it's in the bathroom stalls and that at some point at some point Maybe Sir Nick knows about this. I don't know. They had to install modern plumbing in Hogwarts. All I'm saying. I don't well, know. Well, it's... The thing that's confusing to me is they're like, we've been searching for thousands of years. Not thousands. I think it's like a thousand years. Okay, but they've been looking for this chamber basically since Slytherin like revealed that he had built it. Or since the legend like first was born. Right. It doesn't seem that hard to find. Yeah. Look for a snake. Slytherin's like fucking into those. Yeah, the like, snake is etched on the snake is etched on the taps, and in the movie it's even less subtle than the, the snake little snake. Is like really visible. Like <laughs> just look. Like I don't understand how they've been searching for a thousand years and nobody Well, although I guess Dumbledore does say that parcel tongue is like incredibly rare. Right. So I guess nobody would have been able to open it anyway. But even then, like, it just, for how much talk there is throughout this book about, like, how only the heir of Slytherin can get in there and how hard it is to find and how long they've gone without, like, finding any evidence of it, I'm like, Ron gets in there. Like, Ron is fucking dim. (laughs) I'm just wondering, who put the snake on the tap? I don't know. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. And when were the taps installed? Infrastructurally. That is not, that is not like a 10th century amenity. No, Just it saying. doesn't. Uh, but then in general, the Chamber of Secrets, it's, it's, it's like classic bad guy architecture where you're like, when did you have time to design a badass layer for yourself? Like who... Who is Salazar Slytherin's contractor? Is there, Or is he just magicking that up? He's like, you know what would look great in here? A fucking sweet statue of myself and a lot of snakes. Yeah, there's like vaunted snake ceilings. <laughs> vaulted. You know? And you see, I don't know, you see this all the time. You see this in, I just saw Star Wars Rogue One. For some reason, Darth Vader has like a castle on this vol- the volcanic planet. He was like melted in. And uh, when did he build that? Was he just like, you know what look great here? A massive castle, which serves no other purpose but for me to look badass. Have you met our president? Oh, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. He Damn. literally lives in a golden tower with his name on it. <laughs> 
Never like, mind. Actually, this is not unrealistic at all. Now no. that I think about it, um, super villains are extremely into like <laughs> over the top villain defining architectural choices. Um. Well. All right. Well, everything I said just now has been basically. Uh, if Donald Trump was a parcel tongue, moot. you fucking know that there would be snakes carved all up in that <laughs> shit. Like if Trump were the heir of Slytherin, everything would be snakes. Oh my god. You're so right. Supervillain architecture is a real thing. All right. Yo, because stand- villains are usually rich. And what are they going to do with and all their money? And megalomaniacal. And megalomaniacal uh, and narcissistic. Incredibly self-involved. And insane. All right. So, and what's in the chamber is the basilisk. Yes, the basilisk. Which is a weirdly ineffective monster in this book. Like, how does it not kill anyone? Anyone. Yes, everyone kind of escapes through these comical outs. Like, they see the basilisk in, well, Hermione and Penelope Clearwater see it in the mirror. Justin sees it through nearly headless Nick, who gets the full blast of it, but he can't be killed because he's already dead. Mrs. Norris sees it in a puddle of water. So, uh, given that the basilisk tries to bite Harry in half, you'd think it would, uh, I don't, maybe don't use your killing stare and focus on the fangs more. Like, that seems... Well, Aragog is fucking blind, so clearly he's fine. <laughs> like, he's like, oh, we do not speak its name. And I'm like, bro, like, its main thing can't even get you. Well, they just think that snakes are freaky or that basilisk can... It may be more of a reptile thing than uh, a killing stare thing. Um, I have a theory, and Tom Riddle tells Harry that for months he's been not concerned with killing mudbloods, but mostly drawing out Harry... And I think he knows that if he went and straight up killed somebody, they'd close the school and it would all be moot. Mm. So I think it's more about drawing Harry into a confrontation with Tom Riddle. Well, actually, possibly like, most of the kind of final showdowns in these books, Voldemort says something along the lines of, I didn't really care about all the other goals. Like, he becomes uniquely obsessed with Harry for good reason, obviously. You know what's interesting to me, speaking of Tom drawing out Harry, is Tom, and this is kind of, well, this whole book, this whole end is pretty fucking dark, but this is dark. Tom, like, learns his fate yeah, from Ginny. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Like, Tom is just like, la-di-da-di-da, like, writing in this diary to this, like, 11-year-old girl, and he finds out how he dies, and gets obsessed with Harry Potter. Right, which is so interesting. I mean, it, it shows you how singular and how already formed Voldemort's personality mm-hmm. is long and, before he's Voldemort. And he gets obsessed with his future self. Right. It's fascinating, but it's also like, if you're Tom Riddle, even if what you are is just basically a memory of Tom, which like, first of all, wow, he was fucked up when he was 16. I know. He's figuring out how to preserve himself. I mean, you know, he's making horcruxes at this point, it turns out. But he's figuring out how to preserve himself in the pages of a diary at 16. Like, Fred and George are, like, learning how to make, like, skiving stack boxes at 16. (laughs) Imagining him reading this account from this kind of, like, random girl and it's like oh by the way there's this guy named Voldemort and Harry killed him or almost killed and he's just like shit what 
And then fucking Harry himself starts writing in it. That's just a lot of coincidences, first of all. But also, like, what a... I know this isn't about him, but what a crazy experience for Tom. Or the memory of, yeah, the, like, weird... For, like, leftover Tom. Mm -hmm. But it seems in this book that Tom doesn't have Voldemort's experiences. Like, Tom isn't... Yeah, yeah, he doesn't... Tom is himself at 16. Yeah, yeah. So he has to learn from, like, third parties what happens to him and he finds out that he has his diary memory self has been released into the school with the the timelines of it are like fascinating like here he is existing as a memory alongside the person who will destroy him it's like a really good setup for like the crazy kind of timeline parallels of the rest of the books mm-hmm. it's crazy to me that their lives overlap at different in different like physical timelines and almost in alternate universes like harry and voldemort are on this collision course over and over and over the diary and tom riddle taking approaching human form again as he's like basically stealing Ginny's life force Mm -hmm. is i think it's one of the best devices plot devices in the entire series and it kind of fits into some of the things we're talking about in earlier chamber episodes about history and memory and how it manifests itself in the present because when he says oh it's not me it's a memory of me that part really strikes me and he says Dumbledore was driven away by the mere memory of me and uh, he uses that word memory a lot that to me seems very intentional because Tom Riddle did bad things and bad things still matter even if they're 50 years ago no it's true like it's a really interesting physical manifestation of the legacy of evil and some people in the wizarding world it seems like they want to move on from this but uh they want to move on without doing the work we'll see in later books that you know the ministry of magic is doesn't even want to reckon with the idea that Voldemort might be back. But it doesn't even matter that he's not back yet because, you know, his followers are still out propagating his vision. Lucius Malfoy obviously has returned at least Voldemort's words to Hogwarts, which is enough to cause incredible destruction. That's such an interesting point. It's interesting how the Tom Riddle character is... A manifestation of this idea that you can't just pretend it didn't happen. Right. Because, like, it literally haunts the school. Like, he haunts the school. So, in a lot of ways, I mean, we look at book four as kind of the crux of the series because Voldemort returns to corporeal form. Well, she clearly looks at it as the crux, But to me, book two says it doesn't matter that Voldemort's not physically back or physically returned to power the things he stood for the things he and the wanted, things he like, made that's, yeah that they they still have an impact right no it's... and they have to be fought against and mitigated so i mean you can see parallels to that in any number of like kind of historical evils but to me that's just an interesting the diary is an interesting way of exploring those ideas yeah. In a way that rings a lot truer than some of the later kind of mano y mano Harry Voldemort I agree. battles. Like, this feels 
this is a really raw confrontation between the two of them. The stakes feel really high. Well, the other thing that's interesting is how much better I think J.K. Rowling is at representing the emotions of children than adults in these books. Because grown-up Voldemort, we've talked about this a lot, like reaches the point of absurdity. Like he gets that kind of dumb Bond villain, like high, cold, cackle air where like he doesn't take up a lot of space in my imagination when I read the later books because he's kind of an obvious villain. But this kid is so much like Tom Riddle is among the most interesting manifestations of Voldemort that we get because he's not you kind of get the sense that there are still fulcrums at which he could be stopped or at least kind of like soothed and you watch those missed opportunities happen Mm. like even that scene in Dippet's office where he's like, I can't go back to that orphanage. And you see that resolve harden. And he's like, somebody needs to take the blame for this because I'm doing it. But I also, the school can't close. Like, there's so many opportunities. And that's only really true of him as a young person. For somebody to be like, we need to talk about what is going on with you. Because a child, I mean, even an evil kid, even a bad seed kid saying basically like, I can't go back there is a fucking red flag. And I think it's more interesting to get this Voldemort, this Tom Riddle Voldemort, like teetering on the verge of his true descent, but still vulnerable enough that you can watch adults miss the opportunity to like step in. And that's, yeah, it's interesting because you see some of those weaknesses. Like he's impulsive. He seems to have unleashed the basilisk the first time 50 years ago on a lark, basically. And then when it impacts him negatively, he right. immediately scrambles to, uh, and to take it back. You're also right. One of the reasons that confrontation is so raw is because they're almost equals. Mm-hmm. Tom is a more powerful wizard than Harry at that point, but not by much. And Tom... There's a lot of things that you know Tom can't see that Voldemort would see. Like, Voldemort would know to be afraid of Fox the Phoenix. Right. Or Tom, like, forgets that Phoenix Tears can cure wounds. Right. In a very student wizard way. Mm-hmm. You know? So, it, I think the Tom-Harry confrontation... Plus, like, I mean, in, you know, Dumbledore talks about this. And, and Tom himself talks about this. They're alike. Yeah. They're these weird mirrors of each other and it's really chilling for Harry, but it's also like as a reader, it's incredibly gratifying to watch these sort of like doppelgangers come to terms with that reality. I don't know. It's Riddle is a great, great, great Voldemort phase. I totally agree. It's kind of lame though that Ginny is just kind of this like cipher in this whole plot. Mm. I feel like she gets dragged into it kind of randomly. Yeah, she's not built up too much except to... Seem real nervous and freaked out mm-hmm. and, like, get dismissed and gaslighted. Yeah. I don't love that Ginny is primarily used to give Ron stakes. You know? 
Yeah. The fact that it's Ginny is mostly important because it changes the game for Ron. And the rest of the Weasleys. And the Weasleys. Who but we've come to really, by this point, really identify with and appreciate and right, love. But we don't know that much about Ginny. No, we don't. And that always, she kind of hides her... She did this a bit with Quirrell, too, where the big reveal is sort of hidden just, or like kept uh, it falls just a, off stage. Well, and it falls a little bit flat in the same mm-hmm. way it did with Coral because you don't really know yet what you, I mean, you don't want Ginny to die because Ginny is Ron's sister, but you don't really. And innocent. Yeah, but I, you don't know Ginny that well yet. So I think she sort of, J.K. Rowling, like, stiffs herself on the stakes a little bit Yeah. by, I mean, mostly because there's just no room in this book to do any more. And uh, using women in peril as a device to... Uh, get forward your, the yeah, hero's journey. Yeah, forward the hero's journey is, uh, you know, not the newest yeah, trick in the and book. And it's something I know J.K. Rowling, I know J.K. Rowling is, like, better than that, so it bugs me. It bugs me that she takes Ginny and Hermione out of commission, because they are the female characters with the most agency in this book generally. And I just, that last scene where it's, I get why it has to be just Harry at the very last. But Ginny is basically just a corpse in a lot of this. Even though it's her, like it doesn't get to be her story. Like we don't even hear from Ginny. She's a bit like the Sleeping Beauty. She's a lot like the Sleeping but Beauty. less, it's Far less sexual. It's not sexualized. No, it's not sexual. Well, it's a little sexualized. I mean, the the way he gets to Ginny is by discussing her feelings for Harry with him, with oh, or yeah. with her. Like I guess you're he right. he becomes her confidant specifically about her crush. So he get. I mean, he does get to Harry through the affections of a woman. I guess that's not sexualized. It's romanticized. She, yeah, yeah, I, and get, you know, I guess you're right. And it frustrates me that Ginny doesn't say anything in that last scene. Right. She Harry no... monologues. Yeah. Harry's like, here's what happened to Ginny. And Ginny doesn't get to be like, no, no, like, here's what happened to me. So there's like some, uh, I get, that's like kind of a minor quibble, but it does, Rowling gets better at this. Yeah. These first two books shortchange female characters, which happens less and less later on. Yeah. But, you know, like, fucking laying Hermione out for the second half of this book is annoying. It's annoying that getting Hermione out of the way is the only way the boys figure anything out. So, therefore, like, we have to get Hermione out of the way rather than just let her fucking save the day. Yeah. Or, I mean, she saves the day, like, unconscious. And somehow they get credit for, like, finding the paper that she tore out of the book. So, I do have to say, like, those complaints notwithstanding when harry goes on i you heard me i actually gasped when harry just not even thinking about it ron gets trapped behind the rubble with lockhart and harry's like if i don't come back in an hour like go fucking find someone and tell them i'm dead i gasped audibly and i went harry is so brave i like that she also in the these chapters she lets harry have his fear though it's a mm-hmm. lot about how just scared he is well because one thing that she writes really really well is that 
bravery and fear are not mutually exclusive. Right. Like being brave is not having fear be absent in you. It's like knowing that the task at hand is more important than the pull of fear. A thing that she knows so well and she portrays so well is that doing a brave thing doesn't mean, oh, I did a thing I wasn't afraid of. Yeah, there's so many descriptions in these chapters about how fast his heart's beating or his like legs are quivering. And obviously it's thrilling adventure, but uh, what Harry's actually doing is not fun. It's horrifying when he's sort of woozy as the venom starts to work on him and you hear Tom Riddle's monologue of like, I'm going to sit here and watch you die. I have all the time in the world. You take your time. For book two of this series, (laughs) like, that is rough. Yeah. I guess maybe we could give give Dumbledore some airtime because we are pretty dismissive of him generally. (laughs) He has some good thoughts here. I don't know. When you think about Dumbledore's like kind of end monologuing. Voldemort put a bit of himself in me, Harry said, thunderstruck. It certainly seems so. So I should be in Slytherin, Harry said, looking desperately into Dumbledore's face. The sorting hat could see Slytherin's power in me, and it put you in Gryffindor, said Dumbledore calmly. Listen to me, Harry. You happen to have many qualities Salazar Slytherin prized in his hand-picked students. His own very rare gift, parcel tongue, resourcefulness, determination, a certain disregard for rules, he added, his moustache quivering again. Yet the sorting hat placed you in Gryffindor. You know why that was. Think. It only put me in Gryffindor said Harry in a defeated voice, because I asked not to go in Slytherin. Exactly, said Dumbledore, beaming once more, which makes you very different from Tom Riddle. It is our choices, Harry, that show what we truly are, far more than our abilities. That's a good lesson for Harry to learn. It's the moral of this book. Yeah, Dumbledore's kind of boring. Yeah, his eyes twinkle too much. Not, I'm dead serious about uh, the, the the twinkling. It's excessive. It's the, yeah, especially in this one. Well, it's his also eyes. one of these things where, like, I think his eyes are twinkling inappropriately. I'm yeah. like, he's, like, not showing the proper yeah, amount of, I, like, gravity this, to like, the situation. This, this, is, this is pretty serious, bro. This is not lemon drop time. He fucking, like, winks at Ginny, basically, and he's like, <laughs> no punishment. And you're like, oh, you think? <laughs> She should sue you into oblivion, bro. Oh, my God. And Ginny's trauma is really never revisited, as far as I can remember, in the rest of these books. Uh, Unless I'm really missing something. You know, nobody really talks about the fact that... I mean, they go over in the office a bit, but Voldemort, like, got or Possessed her. Yeah, Voldemort possessed her, made her do awful things like strangle chickens in her sleep, and then dragged her down to be consumed by a monster in, like, the deepest depths of Hogwarts. She gets no therapy. Uh, There's even a line at the end of the book that's like, Ginny was just as happy as she's a, she'd ever been. And I'm, like, doubtful. Yeah, Ginny like, is... Uh, she's harboring some shit. They do return to it. Because that's one of the things that Harry and Ginny kind of bond over. Yeah, wow. Like, when they're kind of falling in love, I think, I don't remember exactly where this comes. Somebody can tweet this at us. Yeah. But This is a Harry Potter reread podcast. So we're uh, 
We're catching, We're catching up. up. No, but there's a time when Jenny is Harry's like, oh, I'm the only one that's ever faced him. And Jenny's like, uh, fuck you. I faced him as a first year. I, I think say- it's in book five when Harry's like, I'm the only one that does anything. I'm real angsty. And she's like, remember when I killed all those chickens? <laughs> that was rough. Yeah, I'd say what happens to Ginny in this book is worse than what happens to Harry in book one. It's worse than what happens to Harry in this one, kind of. He does have to fight the bat. I mean, that's terrifying. He barely has to fight it. The fucking bird uh, does like he, 90% of the he work. He has to shove his hand into... He has to stab it in the back of the throat. That takes I mean, like 30 seconds. No, but that thing, that snake is like... Its jaws are like closing around you, man. That's, that's fucked up. I think Ginny has it worse. I'd say it's about even. I think it's also, poisoned. like, Ginny, Ginny has no, like, skin in this game. It's worse for Ginny because she's just this, like, totally innocent, uninvolved yeah. bait. It's you know, also just fucked up to make women bait. Stop yeah, making women bait. Uh, you know who has the most skin in the game? Who? The basilisk. Yeah, there's a lot of skin. Literally all over, uh, <laughs> all over the chamber. Well, you know who else's trauma never fucking gets addressed? <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, Hagrid is just like, hey, you chaps. Yeah, back, back from, from waterboarding. He's <laughs> been getting dementored for the last few weeks. Dumbledore is like, gotta write a letter to Azkaban. We need our gameskeeper back. And his eyes twinkle. <laughs> oh my God. Like, just everybody get therapy. And Ron and Harry are given awards for special services to the school. The same award Voldemort got for framing Hagrid? Yeah, that's a little dark. Yeah, maybe posthumously... Revoke. Revoke that. I guess it's not posthumous since Voldemort's not really dead. But yeah, maybe maybe revoke that award. And it, like, does Dumbledore find that hilarious? That's yeah, the thing. I, like, I kind of think he does. I, I think he likes the like mirroring. I think he likes... He's kind of sick. He <laughs> likes to play up the synchronicity in Harry and Voldemort's lives. And I think he's doing that specifically because he knows what's coming for Harry. Right. And he wants Harry Damn. to kind of, right? I mean, he specifically wants Harry to cultivate that connection because cultivating that connection is how... Harry will come to understand. Like, Harry will come... Has, yeah. Right. He'll come to understand his, like, quote-unquote duty as the chosen one. So I think... Dumbledore does a lot of things that seem like low-key fucked up that I think he's doing specifically to underscore in Harry's kind of subconscious that he and Voldemort are like on the same path, but wow. maybe in different directions. No, I hadn't thought about that. I just thought- No, I think Dumbledore emphasizes that connection like every chance he gets. Because he's not super reassuring. Even in that like little lesson speech, he's like, it is our choices. But he doesn't say you're nothing like him. No, he says you are a lot he like him. He says there are parallels. Yeah. And he straight up says, like, well, when he killed your parents and tried to kill you, gave you some of his weird baggage. Like, good luck living with that in your body and your heart. <laughs> like, Dumbledore does not provide very much help. Or the help he provides is pretty barbed because I think a lot of the help is setting Harry up. I mean, he's fattening him up to for the slaughter, basically. That's like the whole conflict of the later books is Dumbledore fucking knows what's coming. Speaking of Dumbledore choices, the only way he can summon Fox and the Sorting Hat is by saying something nice about Dumbledore. Yeah. Come on, man. Crazy narcissist. Don't make it so conditional. Oh my God. You must have shown real loyalty to me down there, Harry. 
what if he'd been like, man, fuck Dumbledore for putting me in this situation? Would Fox have just been like, well, hands off. Yeah. Not going. You I don't really... like my, you don't like my owner? Then you don't get none of my tears. That being said, I actually, <laughs> I feel such like intense affection for Fox the Phoenix in these chapters. Like he is the only character that like I'm really cheering for. I mean, I'm cheering for Harry. <laughs> You're not cheering for Harry? I'm cheering for Harry, but I know Harry's going to be okay. But I'm like worried about Fox and like really, I just, she's really good at writing human animal relationships. Yeah. And we get that a lot through Hagrid and we've talked about it with Hagrid's like kind of. Mrs. Norris. Mrs. Norris is, no, that's creepy. The cat wife. <laughs> there, but there really are a lot of animals in these books. And I think it like Fantastic Beasts kind of expands on those themes because those are Newt's relationship with the creatures are like really profound. So I just, side note, I think her, the writing of Fox and her pretty effective rendering of the selflessness of our pets basically is like really real she doesn't like dismiss people's love of their pets right right. another little detail i love in the scene with fox is when he drops the hat and harry has to pull something out of the hat basically to defeat the evil monster but it's not a rabbit it's a big ass sword uh it's just another great little twist on these kind of pop culture tropes around sorcery yeah, she does that really well, and, it's, and a, it's funny. And it's a throwback to the first book where Harry first sees the hat and wonders if he's going to have to pull something out of it to prove, prove himself. He's a wizard, yeah. And in this case, he does to prove that he's a Gryffindor. Now, what I really wish is that the hat had had some lines here, maybe like egg, like Root and Harry on, like Mickey and Rocky, like come on, yeah, give him a left hook. <laughs> that would have been sweet. Yeah, I wish that it sounded Down the hot. Down goes Basilisk. It's, Down goes Basilisk. It's sad that the hat is silent. Um, yeah. I do, I also really like how fucking funny Tom Riddle thinks it is that it's a bird in a hat. <laughs> He's just like, yo, I told you Dumbledore was like a loopy old crackpot. Like, what is this as a gift? And it's cute that Harry's like, no, I believe, I believe, I believe. But Dude. Tom Riddle's kind of like, uh, it's his pet and a hat. But then the bird's like, uh, I'll claw your eyes out, bitch. Right. No, no, no. I know that, like, Harry ends up being right. But it's really fun. I find it really funny when Tom Riddle is like, this is what he sends you. Like, (laughs) cool hero, bro. Classic Dumbledore. We just, there's just one more scene that we really, really, really need to talk about. And that is Lucius and Dobby. Dobby is a free elf. Oh. Here lies Dobby, a free elf. I can't think about that Not yet. Right I, like, now. genuinely can't think about that. But it's coming for you. So Lucius gave Jenny the book. It turns out primarily to frame Arthur Weasley and, like, discredit his Muggle Protection Act. Seems like kind of a short-sighted goal to use your powerful Voldemort diary weapon on, but... Mm. To, like fucking block some legislation it's like (laughs) instead of filibustering the republicans were like what if we just killed everyone (laughs) then there would be no laws his motivations are bonkers what also shows that he doesn't have much faith in voldemort ever returning since he's willing to just toss off this incredibly powerful dark artifact 
which he, I believe he's later really dressed down by actual Voldemort for. Voldemort is like, that was a goddamn horcrux. <laughs> yeah. You fucking just threw that away? Like, what? And it shows that none of the Malfoys, the Malfoys have no chill, no as we've chill. said. And kind of his short-sighted cruelty to Dobby bites him back. Right, it's true. It's like, just because, I mean, this is a thing that the people who have thought it was acceptable to own other beings for labor have learned for all of history you don't own their soul dobby has been a free elf inside of himself forever yeah and lucius's inability to see that dobby despite being so abused still has maintained agency and morality is like his downfall and he resists in the ways that he can he he does as as many enslaved peoples have. Yeah, to me, Dobby is as much the author of his own freedom as Harry Potter. Yeah, Dobby, like, Dobby makes shit happen. But at the same time, Harry's act of freeing him is really beautiful and so in keeping with Harry's greatness and goodness because no other character even thinks to do it. Yeah. Everyone's just like, oh, hi, Dobby, like... Later days, bro. Sorry you got kicked, dude. And Harry just, like, honestly can't. You can, you can, in that scene, he hears Dobby squealing in the hallway. And he just can't abide it. And I like that Harry is a character who maybe doesn't even think through these impulses. But he cannot abide cruelty. Especially to creatures that can't do it, like, can't fight back. So, when Harry frees Dobby... I remember sobbing at that part much more than any other part in the end of this book when I first read it. He caught up with them at the top of the stairs. Mr. Malfoy, he gasped, skidding to a halt. I've got something for you. And he forced the smelly sock into Lucius Malfoy's hand. What the? Mr. Malfoy ripped the sock off the diary, threw it aside, then looked furiously from the ruined book to Harry. You'll meet the same sticky end as your parents one of these days, Harry Potter, he said softly. They were meddlesome fools, too. He turned to go. Come, Dobby. I said, come. But Dobby didn't move. He was holding up Harry's disgusting, slimy sock and looking at it as though it were a priceless treasure. Master has given a sock said the elf in wonderment. Master gave it to Dobby. What's that? spat Mr. Malfoy. What did you say? Got a sock, said Dobby in disbelief. Master threw it, and Dobby caught it. And Dobby... Dobby is free. Lucius Malfoy stood frozen, staring at the elf. Then he lunged at Harry. You've lost me, my servant boy. But Dobby shouted, You shall not harm Harry Potter. It's so beautiful. And the fact that it's with a dirty sock. Yeah. So he like humiliates Lucius at Who the just same time. Tosses it away without even thinking because he's not, you know, he just can't be bothered. And he's not thoughtful. Mm-hmm. No, and he's not smart. Clearly, because his weird fucking plot utterly fails and his evil snake kills no Uh, one. I like when Dumbledore says, be sure that none of Voldemort's old school things uh, turn up around here again, which makes me wonder, like, 
what other school things could Voldemort? <laughs> oh, what, what are what are Voldemort's other school things? Like his trapper keeper is. Uh, <laughs> it's the monster book of monsters. Monster. Yeah, the monster book. Well, yeah, I guess everyone does have monster trapper keepers. Yeah, how much on. work worse can Voldemort's be? Just a locker full of evil. <laughs> evil locker. His uh, yeah. Well, it's yeah, also anybody that Voldemort. If if Voldemort wrote in anyone's yearbook, they should toss that thing out. Stab yeah. it with a basilisk yeah. king. <laughs> like K-I-T forever. <laughs> yeah. Um, hags. Yeah. <laughs> but literal hags. Yeah, hags. <laughs> Going back to the Dobby thing for one minute, it is interesting how early moral choices that Harry makes, like, save his life later on because Dobby's loyalty to Harry is one of the most important forces in Harry's life later on. Like, yeah. Dobby straight up saves their asses. Yeah. And it's because Harry has established to Dobby that Harry is worth saving. Harry makes a lot of choices as a very young person that ensure loyalty in those around him because he really does establish himself as good long before he has to um, kind of make good on that. And he's a powerful model of goodness, because he does it without calculation or even strategy. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Like he reaps the good things he sowed later on, but he never did those things with any expectation of reward. No, he doesn't have ulterior motives when he does really kind things like freeing Dobby. Like, he doesn't free Dobby in order to ensure fealty. In fact, he explicitly says, like, please never try to save my life again. <laughs> Which is actually hideously ironic <laughs> yeah. when it comes to the outcome of the Dobby Harry relation of the Dobby Harry arc. But he's like, I don't need anything from you. Just promise you'll never save my life again. Which is kind of like me telling you to, pro- to promise that you'd never fall in love with me. Yeah, bit. Aww. That happened. It did. That's a that's a true quibbler family story. It's true. I did tell you that. What a fucking manic pixie dream girl, girl bullshit thing of me to have said. I'm sorry I did that. I was like pretending I was in a movie. Jesus Christ. Well, but you did wait till they find the diary that I left at the University of Arizona. Just to kind of wrap up, let's talk about this book a little bit as a whole as it fits into this canon. Mm hmm. Well, I feel like Chamber of Secrets gets overlooked and a lot of people say it's their least favorite book. I don't know if it's a lot, but just anecdotally, I've heard people say, ah, Chamber, you know, book two, things haven't really got hot and heavy yet with uh, the Voldemort Harry conflict and uh, it's not one of the big fat ones that comes later on that everybody lined up for uh, and like read the whole thing at midnight, you know. Well, Um, and I think people expected a sophomore slump and so they read it kind of assuming it was a sophomore slump. Yeah, but to me, I think it's it's really tight and I really enjoyed rereading it. I think it's... Yeah, I think it's an excellent, excellent book. I was one of those people who was like, oh, I don't know, like book two never really did it for me. Rereading it, yeah, it's it's actually become one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. I think they're all my favorites. <laughs> but I did have this, I do remember kind of having this idea in my mind that two is like a little bit more boring and like I didn't really see how it like moved the story forward and like returning to it, it's wonderfully constructed extremely exciting really really interesting you need it you need it for the series to advance so reassessing book two flying colors chamber of secrets is our unsung hero yeah the book itself 
Yeah. Maybe. Well, no, because we have actual unsung right. heroes. Who's yours? Mine for this week is Severus Snape, who suggests that Gilderoy Lockhart should start putting his money where his mouth is and take down that basilisk. And all the rest, it's like the first time all the rest of the staff is like, hell yeah, Severus, like plus one, what he said. So, I don't know, just a good good Snape moment, good comic good comic timing on Do Snape. you think in that moment that the teachers are expecting Gilderoy to just like bounce? Or do you think they think they're sending him to his death? Bounce. Because okay. McGonagall immediately says, well, that gets him out of our hair. But does she mean because it will kill him instantly? No, I think they just expect him to... They know he's a coward. They yeah. know he's going to turn I don't think... I think it turned out better than Severus had even expected. Oh, yeah. Severus <laughs> is probably stoked about the overall outcome. Actually, there's a little moment where they're, McGonagall is telling the teachers, Harry and Ron are fucking always hiding in a wardrobe. They're hiding in the wardrobe in the teacher's lounge. And McGonagall is telling the students what happened. And there's just a line. Severus clutches the back of a chair. You see some humanity I did no- yeah. in Snape. I did, I did notice that. Snape Take note of that. responds with like genuine emotion to the news that Ginny has been killed. So you're like, oh, he's like a, he's a person. Yeah, he's actually. He's just like an asshole. He's trying not- to protect students. Right. And he cares about the school. He doesn't. He doesn't want bad things to happen to Hogwarts. Like, he's very much a Hogwarts loyalist. Yeah. And he doesn't want some innocent little girl to die. And? Yo, also she looks like Lily. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, I mean, uh, right? Uh? <laughs> Mine is Hermione. And I know it's weird to have one of the Golden Trio be an unsung hero. But she is literally fucking unsung. She figures out it's a basilisk. And she gets no house points. No, and she gets no award for special services. Dumbledore's like, two trillion points to Ron and Harry, and Gryffindor wins the House Cup. It's actually 200 points, Yo, but because it could be two trillion. Female labor is erased. <laughs> the boys go do the swashbuckling. The girl did all of the fucking legwork ahead of time, and they're just like, oh, we found this. And you're like, yeah, you found it in her fucking hand. And she saves Penelope Clearwater. Yeah, she does, because she is the one who tells Penelope that she has to look around all of cor- all of the corners with a mirror. She saves Penelope Clearwater's life. Who we learn that Percy... Is boinking. No. Just making out with. Just just making out with. And that's what Ginny saw. It Which, wasn't... I don't even know why that's so embarrassing. He has a GF. Like, shouldn't he be proud? Everybody probably thinks he's like a fat virgin. That's true. Percy wasn't beating it. He was smooching Penelope, which he was is nice. Getting his Mac on. Also, like, lol that Ginny even fucking cares, Percy. He's like, <laughs> he's like, Ginny is going around telling everybody about Penelope, and Ginny is like, literally cares zero. Like, you can make out with another nerd. That's not interesting to me. Oh man. All right. This week is brought to you by the Hogwarts Express. Want to get to Hogwarts? It's the only fucking way, unless you have a flying car. Um. Tickets. Uh. I don't know where you buy tickets. Maybe at the metro station. I guess the the tube station. I don't know. Case yeah, Hagrid cross. just has them. Yeah. Do they charge? I don't think money is ever exchanged. Who knows? Know. Someone so tweeted many me. Questions. The Hogwarts Express. Yeah, how do you pay uh, for it? I like that they say, she's like, well, the Hogwarts Express will be here in the morning to take you guys uh, away from the monster. They just dial it up at any minute. Yeah, I wonder Maybe if take them home at night. You know, the trains could run at night. Get them out of there right away. Show some urgency. 
Hogwarts fact. <laughs> not a thing Hogwarts is good at. No. Uh, Until it's too late. The yeah. audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio, and they are Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Um, sign up for our newsletter, which is at tinyletter.com slash quibblerpodcast. We're going to do it more consistently because it's really good when it comes out. It is good, but it's like a special treat in it's your It's just inbox. a surprise. Yeah. It's like, it comes out, it's been toy, we're on a twice a month kind of pace. Yeah. Anyway, but, uh, it's good when it ever happens. Yeah. We're on Instagram at Quibbler Podcast. You can go see the crocheted snitch and Hedwig the Owl, that uh, sister of the podcast, Andy Dallenberg made for us for christmas yeah they're super cute shout out there we have our own personal merch we don't have merch for you guys but we have personal merch (laughs) um also please leave us a rating um if you have a little more time than that please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe so that this shows up in your little devices whenever we publish it and you want to put it in your earlugs wait should we have a quibbler store well, not now. Annie, how many of these snitches do you think you can crank out, like, a week? <laughs> Annie's just going to be our snitch house elf. Yeah? No, that's dark. <laughs> Sorry, Annie. Snitches get stitches. Name of the store. Because nope. they're stitched. Oh, got it. Gah, see? Yeah. Knitting joke. No, oh, crocheting. Oh, that crochet. was a crocheting joke. Um, <laughs> what else do we... Oh, next week. This is good stuff. We are starting Prisoner of Azkaban, which is both of our favorite. I think so. In the series. Feels like the universe. Eh, that's not the universal favorite, but it's One way up it's way up there. It's a great, like a truly perfect book. We're going to still have quibbles obviously because that's like the whole premise here. But so next week we're reading Owl Post, Aunt Marge's Big Mistake, and The Night Bus. So if you're reading along, catch up. We're starting Prisoner. We'll be starting in 2017, so the year's almost up. Yeah. Uh, the Quibblers hit 5,000 plays thanks, uh, guys. overall. So everybody, thanks for joining us on this journey back to Hogwarts. We, we hope really, you're having fun. Yeah, we really appreciate it. That's it. That's it. Thanks, amigos. Well, uh, if you must know, Ginny uh, walked in on me the other day when I was... Well, never mind. The point is, she spotted me doing something, and I, um, I asked her not to mention it to anybody. What were you doing, Percy? Go on, tell us.